Hello, and welcome to RD and the Inbetweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of RD and the Inbetweens. In this episode, I'm delighted to be talking to my friend and colleague, Jamie Pay from the Messy PhD. Jamie delivers some training sessions on messiness in research on the Research Development Programme at Exeter and also provides training and coaching for PhD students and beyond that through life coaching. Um, in our conversation, we talk about messiness in research and in life and how kind of acknowledging that messiness and sitting with it might subvert some of the typical kind of problematic cultures and approaches to academia and research in general. So I'm Jamie Pay. I completed my PhD in women's studies from the University of York. Um, it feels like such a long time ago, but I officially graduated last year um, and I'm now a life and PhD coach and I also do workshops and training for postgraduate researchers. So I've done some training with you, Kelly, for the University of Exeter, which I've totally enjoyed. And I'm now working on building out my PhD coaching work. So part of what's led us to this is that you've done some um deliver some training for me at the University of Exeter um which has been really popular and I think has really just because it's really resonated with the PGR community um particularly in the way that you approach the kind of the research journey and this concept of, of messiness. And I wondered if you could sort of say a little bit about what this idea of the, like the messy PhD is and, and how that evolved in your, in your kind of thinking and in your practice. Yes, so um, I guess I'd, I'd have to go all the way back to my own PhD and maybe even a little bit before that. So my previous in my previous life before before coming back to academia i was a journalist um, and my last job before coming back into my phd was in fashion journalism i was working for a fashion magazine and everything there is you know it has to be perfect right like in journalism there is no room for messiness there's no room for mistakes really and now i was like given this world where like no the messiness is where all the good stuff happens it's that's where things are rich. That's where you get to be curious. That's where the new questions and the new ideas come up. Um, so that was the research side of it, like the, the messiness of the actual research. Um, but the other, the other components to messiness is about the messiness of being a human being doing the research. Um, you know, there's this, there's this, I think there's this mistaken view that because we are highly qualified and highly um, educated that we know the answers to everything and that we've all got to have our shit together and knowing how to write a good thesis or do good research or be, you know, be really competent in the labs also means that you know how to 
perfectly balance your life, how to be productive, how to stay motivated, and all that other stuff that comes with just being human. But that's not necessarily true. Um, and so much of the PhD journey, like my own, as well as my colleagues and, and all the friends that I'd met through the course of my PhD, you know, it, most people don't struggle with the actual work, right? Like people know how to do the experiment or how to use SPSS or whatever it is. People, are, people struggle with all the other messy in-betweens. And that's why, that's why I sort of came up with the term messy because it's, it's stuff that, that isn't really, um, can't always be clearly defined, that there isn't always a clear um, roadmap to, there isn't, there almost never is like formal university-led training to deal with this messiness, even though that messy, that messy journey, the messy experiences are, are really what characterize a lot of people's doctoral journey and experience. Um, and I can go into that a little bit more. I can talk about this forever, but really it's, it's things like the emotional fallout, um, struggling with work-life balance, the feelings of imposter syndrome, fear of failure, um, deep insecurity that you're not good, good enough, and that can prevail all the way through the PhD. Um, overwork, the guilt that comes with doing a PhD, um, guilt in, in terms of always feeling like you should be working more and even when you're doing perfectly normal acceptable things like sleep or cook dinner you're feeling guilty um the, the kind of glorification of suffering and that the, the messiness of feeling like my PhD is not worthy or I am not worthy unless I'm suffering and, and how to kind of deal with those sorts of emotions so I'm not I'm not by any means a trained um, mental health professional or a therapist or anything like that. But these are these are things that I've worked through a lot in my own life, um, not just in the PhD, beyond that as well. Um, and is something that I started to identify a lot in the trainings that I was doing, um, in the kind of peer-led workshops that I was running while I was still doing my PhD. Um, you know, people, people are coming in to trainings and yes, you know, the initial concerns might be, how do I write a lit review or how do I organize my references? But actually given time and space, then all the other messy things come up where people are like, oh, I'm feeling like I'm behind. I constantly feel like I'm not good enough. And all these other things come up. And I'm feeling really validated and reassured to have their experience represented because I, th I think two things really stuck out for me in what you were saying. First is that, you know, I often say the kind of people that end up doing a PhD or research degree of some kind are people that have been, in some sense, high achievers. Yeah, and for sure. <laughs> throughout their academic career and, and, and are perfectionists and highly critical. And these are the things that make us really good at research. And in some ways it's they make us good at research but bad at being researchers in in the sense that yeah it 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 begets the kind of some of the messiness that you're talking about and the imposter syndrome and the feeling everything needs to be fixed and planable and clearly laid out and and it's just not that <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, and and that it's also that discomfort with the messiness, you know, because we're perfectionists and we like to have full control over how things are going to turn out and how we envisage things to be and how we envisage ourselves to be as we're doing that research. And the nature of research is that it, it necessarily needs to be messy, right? Like if, if, if it wasn't messy, if we did know everything and we could control everything, <laughs> then there wouldn't be the need to do the, the research, right? Because um, we would Absolutely. already know everything. Yeah, so it's it's like learning to be okay with the, the fact that things are not perfect and actually to, to see that messiness as a resource. And that's something I, I always talk about. Like I always say that the, the magic is in the mess. And I know that sounds like such a sort of almost like Disney-fied woo-woo thing to say but especially in research you know so much um so much good stuff comes out of the of not knowing or of confusion or initial confusion and you know the the not being in full control of things because that's where your data is telling you things or or you know you're struck by by new methods or new ideas or perspectives that you might not otherwise have thought of if you'd followed that plan exactly and perfectly. Exactly. And as someone that comes from kind of from an artistic background, that kind of idea of, of the, the knowledge and the productiveness and the all the good things coming from the mess really, really speaks to the kind of artist training in me. Um, because, you know, that, yeah that is how we create new knowledge and new understanding it is from the messy and it is from the unknown and and from the discomfort but it's not something that we are trained to deal with in in life let alone mm -hmm. in research you know if you think about just you know with my head on in kind of the British education system from a young age you're you're taught to put everything in boxes and everything's kind of measurable and neat even though it's not um and no wonder we get young people coming to university and you know as undergraduates and postgraduates who kind of you know don't know how to deal with the mess and the discomfort because all we've done is try to kind of <laughs> teach them that the world is not like that yeah and it, you know this comes also of like capitalist patriarchal yeah. colonized colonized cultures right where you know productivity is king um success self-made success um all that the, the drive pr being productive being successful being entrepreneurial and all that um that is prized above everything else so i think a lot of us it, myself included you know when i talk about all this i'm not talking about like P pgrs and phd students or something separate for me like i absolutely went through all of this myself and i still do like not as a phd student now <laughs> it's just the bar has just moved somewhere else now that I'm, you know, starting my own online coaching stuff. Um, but there's this idea that like, you know, the whole PhD journey rests on what you produce at the end of it, right? Like everything hinges on that thesis, um, the viva, what you have produced. Um, but there's something huge that my supervisor also said to me midway through my PhD which was she said you know it's you're not just being assessed on what you're researching 
you're actually being, especially as a, as a PhD student, and we are, I know that we kind of rail against the term student because we want to be sort of regarded as sort of higher up the, <laughs> the, the chain or whatever. Um, but ultimately we are still students. We are in an educational program. And part of that education and that assessment is, is it's not just assessing what we're producing, it's assessing how we're doing that research. And I think that is a huge element that isn't emphasized enough. And, you know, I was really fortunate that my, like I said, my supervisor loved messiness and that kind of creative discomfort and figuring out the how of doing that research throughout the process. So, I, you know, that was very much built into the way that she supervised me and, and guided me through the three, four years. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of people don't get that. You know, everyone's just got their eye on like the final product. I have to produce a perfect piece of research where my results match my hypothesis or whatever, um, where I can answer my research questions perfectly and everything matches up. Um, nothing must ever go wrong because then it, it shows that I failed as a researcher. But actually, it, not examiners, supervisors, they, they, they're expecting things to fail, right? Like they know that research is messy. They know that research is unpredictable. Shit happens. There's a pandemic in the world or whatever. Machinery breaks down. People leave things in the lab overnight and electricity goes off, whatever. Um, and it's, it's not like what happens, like what results you get, what the thesis is, is not as important as how you're responding at each stage of that research, what you're doing, what decisions you're taking and how you're justifying those decisions. And that I think I see now, now that I'm looking back and now that I've had some distance from it, you know, like how you're doing the research and how you are as a researcher really is more important than what it is that you're producing, if that makes sense. <laughs> it absolutely makes sense. And it really feeds into a kind of my approach to research development which is you know there's there's the elements of we do have research development which are about developing the research and your ability to do the research but actually the whole kind of concept behind you know the research development framework is looking at the researcher in a holistic fashion and I think sometimes because you know we're so focused on getting students through in x number of years and and all that sort of stuff that we forget that actually that's it's the researcher that we're developing and i'm really reminded in what you're saying about so pat thompson from nottingham i wrote this blog post once about and it really really stood out for me about how the thesis is a representation of the research it's a narrative that you're cur curating for a particular audience and it has to be linear and um and well structured and um you know a kind of logical argument that develops and all this all those sorts of things but that's not what research is like yeah yeah absolutely yeah at the end of it you have to produce this document which has this linearity and coherency that the research process just does not and so you know the, the then the representation or the thing that we hold up at the end of it um that we examine 
isn't necessarily the thing that's actually reflective of what the process of doing it is like. And I, I always thought that was really interesting and a really interesting way to think about writing your thesis is actually, you know, it, it, you're, tell, you're telling the story of you doing this research and you're constructing it for your examiner as an audience. Mm-hmm. And, and so you need to kind of step away from what it felt like to do it almost and think about how to kind of look at it from the outside. Yeah, there is, there's definitely that kind of disjuncture between the living research and that process of it and, and the telling of it, you know, in a way that's going to tick the boxes to pass the PhD as well. <laughs> and for me, my, me personally, my, my experience of the research couldn't really be divorced from the, like the how couldn't really be divorced from the what and and there was a time that I was thinking a lot about actually changing my my thesis to be more a focus on the methodology of it and the kind of epistemology behind it because researcher reflexivity and all that kind of thing was really important to me um and I, it, the final version of the thesis I think does leave out a lot that is potentially more interesting, I think, and more rich because it's really about how I did the research and how I grew as a as a researcher. Um, but obviously, like that's not necessarily what examiners want. So that that's another messy thing as well. You know, the story that you want to tell and that you've lived through your research and what it is that you're telling your your researcher. Uh, that's a whole other topic, though. I think. <laughs> and the thing is, as well. <laughs> The other thing that's part of messiness is like, I think a lot of PGRs that I come across feel this, that, you know, we feel like we're the only person in the world who doesn't know what they're doing and everybody else has their shit together. (laughs) I, and I'm always saying, you know what, like literally nobody else has any fucking clue what they're doing either. (laughs) Everybody is just figuring it out. This is part of being, it's, it's a it's a being human thing it's not a researcher thing or an academic thing it's just part of being human being right yeah absolutely and and that's why I think the kind of the work that you're doing and the route that you're taking like it just really really resonates with me really speaks to me in terms of my experience because it is what you've kind of ended up doing is articulating something that I I feel like I've lived um and and not really known how to pass on to people and I've talked a little bit about my kind of about my my journey and the kind of intersections of my professional and personal lives but yeah just I think the kind of the work that you're doing the messy PhD and the the intersection of kind of research and life coaching um just really speaks to what my experience has been like working in higher education I guess yeah, and I just, I, I kind of, and I rant about this on Twitter a lot. I say, you know, you could have the most perfect suite of training and workshops for your PhD community, like how to write the PhD, you know, workshops on academic writing, on software, on data management, all of that, but it wouldn't matter at all like not a single fuck if the person is a is a mess you know yeah. and what else is going on in their life is a mess um 
you know, you need to sort that out first. And in, in most instances, PhD students are highly intelligent, highly capable people. Like doing the work is not the problem. It's, it's everything else that is around the work that usually is the problem, right? And also, you know, like you say, just because you are an intelligent person doesn't mean you instinctively know how to navigate doing a really intense research project with a traumatic alongside a traumatic life event like yes and and not to mention all the other structural things that you're dealing with like the racism and the yeah. sexism and the ableism all that you know that's so endemic and inbuilt within the academy as well um yeah <laughs> and then and then also dealing with the messy nature of research itself right like things being unpredictable and dealing with data that goes wrong or pandemics and all this and it's a, it is a huge piece of work for a lot of people it's going to be the largest independently done piece of work that they've done to up to that point in their life and a lot of it's kind of done on your own as well you know you're you're not like necessarily working like you would in a job um that, and that's another thing that's another part of messiness it's that sense of loneliness right and um kind of dealing with that like how how do you figure out your own feelings how do you fit in with your community um so yeah I mean that's something that I try and address in my coachings as well um one of the things that I found really palpable in my role in research development is the desire people have to come to me for the answer yeah they they want to come to training or mm -hmm. they want to come and talk to me because they they think well you're in this job so you must have you must have the answer and then they come to me and I go but there is and not only do I not have the answer but there is a, an answer yeah. And, yeah and it's a really confronting experience for a lot of people um but, but but why can't you but why can't you give me the answer I can't give you an answer that doesn't exist yeah and, and I feel that so much yeah really it's really painful in the sense that you know people they're desperate for you to give them the answer, not because yeah. they are incapable or any of those things, but because the system is kind of really rigid and really convincing them that there has to be an answer and there has to be a way. And then yeah. you, people like me swan in and go, no, no, it doesn't really work like that. There isn't a way, I can't <laughs> any way. Um, and, yeah, know. that's exactly how it was for me as well with my supervisor, you know, and um needing to know the right answer in a particular way and also um needing to have a very rigid structure like oh i should be here by now i should have attained this by now uh and i remember saying to my supervisor once like i i basically i need you to chase me around with a stick and make sure that i'm on track <laughs> and like beat me if i haven't submitted things on time and she was horrified that i said that and it really took me almost like two years to really like it took two years for it to jig that oh you know what actually i'm in charge of this completely i get to call the shots um, there isn't a particular way of doing this and only one way of doing this. And I'm actually not reporting to anyone. This is why it's another weird, messy space because 
you know, you're not submitting work to a teacher to assess. So there isn't a right answer in that way. And up until this point, you know, in most taught degrees, there is some degree of what's the right answer, right? Or the right way of doing things. And, and then suddenly you're in this space where you're like, actually there's like 981 different ways that you could do this and a potentially infinite number of answers to this. Yeah, so what we're saying is you come into a research degree and you're working with someone who's not your teacher, um, it's not your boss, yeah. you independently for the first time. Um, so you've got to kind of motivate yourself in a way that you've never had to before. You're undertaking something where nobody has the answers for you. You've got to go and find them. You're used to things being quantifiable and linear and coherent and things are messy and <laughs> complicated um, and throw up through curveballs at you all the time. And whilst you're doing this, you need to navigate um, like adulthood and life potentially, you know, if you if you're going through a conventional route, let's look through the system, you're you're encountering adulthood and life and, and life experiences that you've not had to deal with before. Um, yeah regardless of when you're doing a PhD you know you've got you've got to deal with life and life events and the global pandemic and and yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's a it's a whole mashup isn't it it's kind of figuring out the expectations on top of all this as well then you know you're we're thrust into this community which is extremely competitive and where there are already these existing narratives of what it means to work hard, what it means to be successful, um, what is considered valuable research, you know, th these ideas that infiltrate around you should be working all the time and working harder and more hours means you are a better researcher and those kinds of horrible myths that kind of get perpetuated and re-perpetuated and people, I really dislike the memes and the jokes on Twitter and, and on social media that poke fun at like PhDs not having a life and oh weekends what are they and those kinds of things and I get it that people need to blow off steam and and kind of make light of it but inadvertently it, it does also perpetuate this notion of of you know this need to constantly work and then therefore if you're not constantly working if you're not struggling if you're actually finding your phd quite enjoyable then there's this idea that well, maybe you're doing something wrong so like on top of you know figuring out what it means to be a grown-up in the world and surviving in the pandemic and learning a new way of working and researching and studying on top of that all of this is happening within this extremely competitive highly pressurized environment and you have to navigate that as well <laughs> and set your boundaries within that space as well um and it's you know it sounds so easy right or like just set boundaries just say no but what what saying no for one person will look very different to what you know saying no is for somebody else and what those boundaries are. Nobody can decide them for you. You have to decide them for yourself. And that's hard to work through sometimes. Yeah, it's not a case of say yes to this, say no to that, say yes to this state. You know, it's it's not a tick box exercise. Yeah, absolutely not. And it's gonna vary. You could be 
doing, you could be on the same project team in the same department with the same PI and your boundaries will still look vastly different, right? <laughs> from someone, from that other person. Because we are different people and our lives are different and are, and therefore our boundaries, pardon me, and therefore our boundaries are always going to be different. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, this goes for everything, right? Not just the PhD. Um, yeah, and that's another bit, that's another thing as well, you know, this tendency to compare that also oh, so-and-so is further ahead than me. Um, they're doing better than me. They've presented at more conferences than me and realizing that like, you know, as well as having different life boundaries, like people's research boundaries are vastly, people's research topics and how they're doing their research varies tremendously as well. Like it's, it's, it literally is like comparing, it's not just even comparing apples and oranges. It's like comparing like a bowl of fruit with a packet of biscuits, right? Like they're like completely different, you know, and we, we, we compare ourselves using these unfair measurements and then we beat ourselves up for it when they're actually just not accurate at all. And then, and then we get ourselves into more mess, right? Because then our boundaries are even more blurred. Yeah, <laughs> exactly and it just you and just end up going around in these in these vicious circles and then you know like we were saying earlier then that perpetuates itself amongst the kind of the people that we're teaching or supporting or that are just kind of looking at us as role models even though we might not you know be intentionally kind of framing ourselves in that way but are looking at us and go oh yeah that that's how you do it that's that's how it's supposed to be um yeah, but even the person who looks like they know yeah. how it's supposed to be has probably stumbled upon that by mistake or there's something going on behind the scenes, you know, like swans, right? Like, <laughs> I always think of research as like swans, like you look like you're gliding along really elegantly, but you're like paddling like crazy under the bottom. <laughs> and then everyone around you go, well, they can do it without, without struggling or without it being difficult or... You know, so why can't I, why can't I? And we get into this kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's something that I really wanna try and normalize as well with my work is, is to tell those stories of failure, of falling flat, of like. Exactly, I like to do, um, in my training, I always like to do the kind of, there's always a moment where we go, and now we're gonna learn from past Kelly's mistakes. Um, <laughs> I love that <laughs> and and just kind of yeah like these are all of the way that you know because I think sometimes as well when we're doing training it 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 does appear like we've we've got the answers and we know how things should be done and we know how you know it's important to take breaks and I talk constantly about how important it is to take breaks I don't take breaks like I'm not good at that <laughs> yeah yeah I feel you I still if I am taking a break I'm sat there feeling guilty yeah <laughs> yeah the break that I had today was going and hanging the washing on the line that's not a break yeah no that's, that's still doing something isn't it <laughs> but, you know and so I think just just because as well just because you know how you should be doing something doesn't mean that you are doing it that way or that it's easy or that you can do it that way all of the time you know yeah what you preach is actually really really difficult um and so I think it's important, like that sense of 
being open about failure is really important because you're like well actually you know it might seem like I you know I, I know the right ways I know a lot of the a lot of not the right ways I know a lot of good ways of doing things mm-hmm. I don't know if that's how I should approach some things or how I could but that doesn't mean that I do it like that all the time um or even at all um, yeah or you know the reason that I like teach the things that I teach is because I spent four years not doing them right <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah. now looking back, I'm like, that's what I should have done. <laughs> and and therefore, don't kind of shame yourself for not doing the thing that you know is right for you. But shame yeah. yourself for getting it wrong or for sitting at a computer all day or working too late, you know, if you haven't failed it's you know it's, it's creating another sense of failure in a way you know you haven't failed if you don't achieve that or you don't kind of embody those principles yeah because there is no like to say that you failed then indicates that there is a right way of doing it right so you fail because you haven't done it the right way but then there is no right way <laughs> right yeah. um And it's really kind of about figuring out what's right for you. And this is something I talk about a lot as well, like finding your own work groove. Um, That's another big thing. You know, we, we, a huge thing of feeling like we failed is because we feel, oh my goodness, I haven't worked 40 hours a week. I'm not at my desk from nine to five. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in the lab, but I only did two, two hours out of the six hours I was there or whatever. Um, and it's really about, it took, it took me almost four years. I didn't really get this until like maybe the very last year of my PhD. And that is like, so for the first four years, I kept trying to be a morning person, right? Like, so I kept saying, okay, I've got to be up at eight and get to my office and get a full day worth of writing in it and every single day I'd wake up at like 11 and be like oh I failed again like I didn't do the eight o'clock thing right and I did this for four years and finally like towards the end I was like you know what I'm just not a morning person my work groove is to start after 11 and that's okay yeah. you know um and that's maybe not the right way for someone else but it is absolutely the right way for me um, so then you're setting yourself up to not fail, right? Because you're you're finding out what's going to work for you and what's going to be right for you. Yeah. I wonder if just to finish, if you could, if you could like capture the the philosophy of the messy PhD and and the the work that you're doing, um, in like a little a little soundbite or a sentence or you know what you know whatever you want to call it what what's the core of it for you what is it if people somebody listens to this podcast which will be edited down from the hour and 45 minutes we've been talking (laughs) but however long this podcast ends up being if somebody listens to the kind of the whole thing what's the one thing that you want them to leave listening to this with I think it would be um and I mentioned this earlier it's that is to find the magic in the mess. And what I mean by that is not to um, discard messiness 
whatever that might mean for you. It's not to discard it or overlook it or even to try to fix it or to gloss over it, but to use that messiness as a resource and to find the magic within that mess. Um, There's usually something within that messiness that can tell you something helpful and creative, both for your research as well as for life in general. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development and everything in between.